We're going to talk about Ezekiel today. We're going to look at a famous chapter in the book of Ezekiel. Actually, I should call it an infamous chapter. Ezekiel chapter 16. I would say that this is the second most well-known chapter in Ezekiel. Right behind Ezekiel chapter 37. You know what happens in Ezekiel 37? Ezekiel encounters that valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel says, God, can these bones live? And God shows Ezekiel that they can. And he lifts up the bones and revives them and breathes life to them and puts flesh on them and they live. And we're familiar with that image and that event. And Ezekiel 16, I would say, is the most well-known chapter behind that one. Now, I want to tell you this morning as we begin our time together, I am not reading the whole chapter. First of all, it's very long. But the other reason is it's quite racy. And I don't want you to think that I'm trying to take away from the Word by not reading all of the verses here or some of the verses from chapter 16. I'm just trying to be mindful of my audience. Because if Ezekiel chapter 16 was a television program, it might be rated TVMA. Or at least TV14 for violence and sexual content. And if just by describing what is happening in Ezekiel 16, I am making you want to go home and read it for yourself, then I will have accomplished something. Because it's always good for us to be reading our Word even more. You know, the Bible as a whole can be racy in some places. And I think many of us have had the experience, we've been taught a Bible story when we were young, and then we grew up and we read it for ourselves. And we said, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was in there because they left that part out in Sunday school or in vacation Bible school. Ezekiel chapter 16 is very intense. And it is very uncensored. And I'm going to preach about it and I'm going to make reference to it, but I'm not going to read every uh, verse because it is, um, it's, well, it's pretty racy. This chapter tells a story. This oracle found in this prophetic work, tells a story that illustrates God's relationship with His people in the Old Testament. Let me, let me rehearse that story for you, or let me summarize that story. The story begins with Israel, God's people, or more specifically, Jerusalem is the word used throughout Ezekiel 16. The story compares Jerusalem with an abandoned infant girl. In the text, we find an infant that is not treated with the care and the compassion that one ought to treat an infant in the ancient world. This baby girl is not washed with water upon birth or rubbed with salt, which was something that was common in that time. It was believed that that had uh, some sort of uh, medicinal quality to it. Nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. In fact, this infant in this story has to endure, sadly and devastatingly, what a lot of infants who were unwanted, many of whom were girls, had to endure in the ancient world what we now call exposure. If there was a baby that came along that you didn't want, you would leave that baby exposed to the elements. And of course, babies being as helpless as they are, that was a death sentence. And what God is saying here is that Israel 
was an infant left to die by exposure. A baby girl. But then in the course of of the story, a king, which represents the Lord, passes by and rescues this child from certain death. He passes by and he speaks life over the child. This child that was abandoned and left to die, the Lord, the king, comes by and causes the baby to live. Well, in the course of the story, the baby girl grows up and matures and winds up marrying the king to become a queen. We can look in verse 8 of Ezekiel chapter 16. In the course of the story, the text says, I made my vow to you. This is the king to the queen. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. And the once abandoned infant, now turned queen, is showered with the luxuries of royal life. Verse 13, thus you were adorned. This is God speaking to his people or the king speaking to the queen. You were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. So this is a rags to riches story. This is an about face from a child that was left to die and now living in the palace, married to a king. But this idyllic life was not to last. Because as we read in Ezekiel 16 in this story, the queen begins to be grossly unfaithful to her husband despite his exceeding generosity. We can read about that from verses 15 to 34. And of course, it's easy to see the parallel. It's easy to see what each element in the story means as Ezekiel writes to God's people, many of whom are in exile, Babylonian exile. It's easy to make the connection, to connect the dots. Israel, of course, we know, chased after other gods to worship idols, and they formed allegiances and alliances with ungodly nations. They were grossly unfaithful to their God. And it leads us to ask, as we consider this chapter, why would God's people in the time of Ezekiel rebel against God after all he had done for them? After he chose them, going all the way back to their father Abraham, after he picked this family, this nation to favor and to care for, to enter into a covenant with him, after he rescued them from under the hand of their oppressors in Egypt, brought them up out of slavery, after he established them in the land that was flowing with milk and honey, after they sinned repeatedly and he forgave them repeatedly? Why, after all that, would God's people in the time of Ezekiel rebel? Now, oftentimes, that's the question that we ask when we consider passages like this in Scripture. But it's also good. In fact, we must also ask the question, why do we rebel? Why do we do things and say things and think things that are not in keeping with the will of God? Why do we do things and say things and think things that do not please our Father after He chose us from before the foundations of the world? That's what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. After he rescued us from the domain of darkness. After he established us in the kingdom of his beloved son. 
after He forgives us repeatedly as baptized believers as we sin and confess those sins to God and as the blood of His Son continually cleanses us? Why is it that we so consistently rebel against Him? Well, to answer the first question, why did they rebel? Put simply, they rebel because they don't remember. They don't remember. A spiritual amnesia had set in for them. And it wasn't the first time, and it wouldn't be the last. It wasn't the first time, if we go all the way back, before the exile, before the kingdom of God's people was divided into north and south, before there were even kings over God's people. If we go all the way back to the time of Judges, to the book of Judges, chapter 8, verse 34, we read, you don't have to turn there, you're welcome to, but I'll share this first with you. This is after Gideon, the great judge that God used to deliver his people after he passes away. Listen to what the Bible says in Judges chapter 8, verse 34. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God. And they did not remember all the myriad of ways that he had delivered them from the hands of their enemies. Spiritual amnesia. They forgot. They did not remember. And that's precisely what happens in the time of Ezekiel. In fact, in Ezekiel, the text that we're considering, the chapter we're looking at, chapter 16, verse 43, God says, you have not remembered the days of your youth. You have not remembered where you came from. You don't remember the blessings that you enjoy being my children, being my spouse. You've forgotten, and because they forgot, they rebelled, and because they rebelled, they faced punishment, severe punishment from God. God's purpose in delivering this oracle to them through Ezekiel in chapter 16 is in part to remind them of their past, to help them to remember God wants to help them to remember, well, the abundant life that they enjoyed. They got to live in the king's house. They got to be part of the royal family. Verse 14, I mean, you really ought to read this passage in its entirety for its vivid and beautiful language. Verse 14, and remember, this is an imaginative story that illustrates God's relationship with his people. But now we're thinking in terms of king and queen here. Your renown, verse 14, went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. I had bestowed on you gift after gift, blessing after blessing, splendor. And you're going to turn around and do that. You're going to chase after other gods. You're going to be unfaithful to me. You're going to rebel against me after the abundant life that you've enjoyed. And God also wants to remind them of their humble origins. They were an infant left to die by exposure when God found them. And God says in verse 22, when I found you, you were naked and bare. That phrase is used a few times in chapter 6. You were naked and bare. You were helpless You were vulnerable. There was nothing you could do to improve your situation. And I found you and I plucked you up and I planted you and you grew and you came into my house and I blessed you exceedingly. You need to remember where you came from when I found you. 
you were naked and bare. Verse 22, in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare. They had forgotten. They had forgotten. And many sins arise from forgetfulness. Many sins arise from a failed memory. Or we could say, much sinning arises from forgetfulness. From forgetting the rich, rich blessings that we enjoy in Christ in the present. I am ashamed of all the times, of all the days when I have been overwhelmed with gratitude for the blessings that I enjoy through Christ, and then the very next day, I am overcome with despair, and I'm grumbling, and I'm whining, and I'm complaining about my situation. Or worse, I have fallen into some immoral, unethical behavior. That's what happens when we forget what we enjoy in Christ from God. It's dangerous to also forget about the damage done by sin in the past. The allure of temptation and sin is so powerful we forget that the last time we did whatever that thing was, it brought about great destruction and wreckage into our lives. And we said back then we'd never do it again for how it hurt us, for how it hurt our families, for how it hurt the people we loved. I'll never do it again. But then what happens? We forget. We don't remember the damage that it caused. And then we fall headlong back into whatever it was we said we'd never do again. And sometimes we forget the promise of a glorious future. We get so mired and weighed down by the weight of the present, our present circumstances, that we forget there is a glorious inheritance awaiting the saints those who keep the faith in Jesus Christ. We forget that. And much sinning arises from a failed memory, from forgetfulness. When we forget, sin is close at hand. Sin is crouching at the door. And when we fall headlong into rebellion, punishment is what we deserve and punishment is what we'll receive. Just like God's people in the Old Testament. Let me let God in Ezekiel tell you succinctly Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, it doesn't get any clearer than this. The soul who sins shall die. That is the wages of sin, the payment for sin, the result, the product of sin. You sin, you die. And that's why the news of the gospel is such exceedingly good news. Because it reverses that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ. God, in verse 39, basically says this. I'm not going to read this verse. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Naked and bare is how I found you. And naked and bare is how you're going to end up if you continue in your rebellion and your unfaithfulness. You'll end up right where you started. I found you and I took you in and I gave you life and I blessed you and you lived in the royal family in the palace of the king. And if you continue to rebel against me, if you're continue, continuously unfaithful to me, you will wind up where you started out. Naked and bare and helpless and vulnerable and just waiting to die. God wants us to remember. We've got to remember. We've got to remember 
the lowly estate from which he delivered us and the gifts that he has showered upon us and the glorious future that awaits us. What Paul seems to be saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, after he has gone through a litany of sins and unrighteous, immoral behaviors that the world is involved in, Adultery and sexual immorality and homosexuality and stealing and greed and drunkenness and lying and reviling and swindling, all this and more. And he's writing to the church and then he says, and such were some of you. You were involved in that stuff. And if you weren't involved in that stuff, you certainly were involved in some sort of sinful, rebellious behavior for which you deserve death. That's where you were before I found you. But that's not who you are now. You need to remember where you came from and you need to remember who you are. Because you were washed, you were baptized, you were sanctified, you've been made holy, you were justified, you were made right in the eyes of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Don't ever forget it. We need to, with the psalmist, be able to proclaim. This is Psalm 77, 11. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will remember God. I won't forget what you've done for me. Because I know forgetting will lead me to a place I do not want to go. There's a famous saying in the South. And I bet you've heard it. Don't get above your raisin. You've heard that, hadn't you? Don't get above your raisin. What does that mean? Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget to be grateful for the way that you were brought up. Don't forget about your family of origin. Don't forget about the town where you you were born and reared. Don't get above your raisin. What does that mean from a spiritual perspective, a Christian perspective? It means stay humble and stay grateful. And don't forget God's grace. Let me tell you, one of the best safeguards against Satan and sin is your memory. It's your ability to remember where you came from, how good you've got it in Christ, and where you're going. Don't forget. What's remarkable to me in Ezekiel chapter 16 is that despite their rebellion, the people of of God in this era despite their gross unfaithfulness to God, God still plans to establish an everlasting covenant with His people. Not like the old covenant, it's the new covenant that would come through Christ. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 59 and 60, this was our text. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. In other words, you will not escape the consequences of your sin. You who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant, yet, verse 60, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. In essence, God is saying, you didn't remember me, but I will remember you. I will remember you. And today, in this day, in this era, We can enjoy the benefits of this covenant promise 
long ago. This new covenant, this everlasting covenant. Through God's Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And my question is, are you enjoying the benefits of this covenant? Because if you haven't been born again into Jesus Christ, then you have not been welcomed into God's family, and therefore you are not one of the recipients of the blessings that come through Jesus Christ in this new covenant. And Ezekiel tells us how to make things right with our God. And we can fill in the gaps now that we have the New Testament. Ezekiel, or God speaking through Ezekiel, says, this is Ezekiel 18.30, Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Confess Christ. Be baptized so your sins can be washed away. And God will bless you with a new heart and a new spirit. And you'll be part of the new covenant. And you can enjoy the blessings that flow from God through Christ to you now and forevermore. And don't ever forget how good you've got it in Christ. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, after that boy had left his father's home, had squandered his inheritance and all that his father gave him, we find him in a pigsty, longing to eat the slop that the swine were feasting on. And in that moment, Scripture says, he came to himself and he thought to himself, my servant, the servants of my father have it better than me. His, only, his, his son, his offspring, they've got it better, so I'm going to go back. He came to himself. He had an aha moment. He had an epiphany. What's another way of saying that? He remembered. He remembered how good it was when he was in his father's house. Why don't you enter into your father's house today? Maybe for the first time if you haven't been baptized into Christ or maybe... Your life has not been reflecting uh, discipleship and devotion to God, and you need to come and make a course correction. You need to come and confess sin to God and ask God to welcome you back into His house. And you need to pray, God, may I never again forget how good you have been to me through Christ. If anybody needs to come and respond to the invitation this morning. We invite you to do that right now as we stand and sing.